Welcome to Bite the Orange. Through our conversations, we create a roadmap for the future of health with the most impactful leaders in the space. This is your host, Dr. Manny Fumble. Let's make the future of healthcare a reality together. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Bite the Orange, where today we have a very special guest. And this guest is no other than Andrea Wilson-Woods. And thanks for joining us today, Andrea. Oh, thank you so much for having me. No, it's quite a a pleasure and honor to actually have you. And you have a very unique and interesting story. For those people, those listeners that are listening right now that have never met Andrea, she is an entrepreneur, speaker, and someone that definitely belongs on this particular podcast of By the Orange. I'm sure we'll all be inspired by her background and story. So with that being said, I will much ado about nothing. Let's get into it. So, Andrea, tell us about yourself. (laughs) Much ado about nothing. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, well, you touched on a little bit. So I'm an author, an advocate, an entrepreneur, a speaker, and also a podcaster. And my lane, if you will, is cancer. I've lost six family members to five different cancers. The most significant loss, though, by far was my sister, Adrian. So when I was 22, I was living in Los Angeles. I had finished university and I ended up getting custody of my sister, Adrienne, who was eight years old at the time. So there's a 14-year age gap there. And I became her legal guardian. I raised Adrienne all through my 20s until she was very unexpectedly diagnosed with stage four liver cancer one month after her 15th birthday. And that was over 20 years ago. And there was absolutely nothing that could be done for metastatic liver cancer then. And so her cancer journey lasted 147 days, hence the subtitle of my book. And to give your listeners some context, the following year, I was 30 years old. And so it really changed the whole course of my life. And I founded a nonprofit, Blue Fairy, the Adrian Wilson Liver Cancer Association in memory of my sister. But I also did it because at that time, there wasn't a single organization in the U.S. focused on primary liver cancer or for all your doctors, hepatocellular carcinoma. And I knew from what caused it that liver cancer was only going to to increase in the U.S. and worldwide. And I just wanted other people to have the support that my sister and I could not find. Which is quite interesting and sorry to hear about your loss, but I'm sure that experience is something that changes a lot of us. My personal story as well, which I've shared with a lot of listeners is me actually getting to cardiovascular medicine because my grandmother had heart failure. So unless you actually go through this process and you actually feel it, right? It's kind of hard to actually discuss what this is. So with that being said, so tell me about the Blue Fairy Foundation. Is that still in existence? So, so talk to us about that. Yeah, Blue Fairy turns... 20 in December, this December. And Blue Fairy's mission is to prevent, treat, and cure primary liver cancer, so specifically hepatocellular carcinoma, through research, education, and advocacy. And so we have patient education materials. We have a research award for physicians and scientists that we give out every year on my sister's birthday. We have all kinds of different advocacy efforts. And then most recently, we created our Love Your Liver public awareness campaign that we do several times a year. 
I like that name. Love your liver. Thank you. I trademarked <laughs> it. That, that, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, so love your liver. So everyone should love the liver. But that's in this right. particular case, with that being said, I know right now you serve as the CEO of Cancer University, which is quite interesting. And I think that is a lot for us to learn about. So tell us about the story behind Cancer University. Yeah, Cancer University, or as we like to call it, Cancer U, came out of me seeing a gap in my own advocacy organizations and other advocacy organizations. So what I was finding that even when you have the best patient education materials, so our materials are in multiple languages, they're easy to understand, we ship worldwide for free. I was seeing the problem that giving just a brochure or a pamphlet or whatever wasn't enough patients and caregivers, that's kind of the what, and they needed the how. And when I was raising my sister, I was a teacher. And after she died, I actually went back to school, gave USC more of my money, fight on, and became an adjunct professor after I got my master's degree. And so that's my background is teaching. I'm also a certified coach. And so what was happening is that I was coaching patients and caregivers pro bono for over a decade. And it started small in this very specific niche of HC, but I guess word got out and it just became unsustainable because I couldn't clone myself. But I saw this huge gap, especially when people with cancers that I knew nothing about were coming to me and I was able to help them. And it's really teaching people how to become advocates for their needs, especially healthcare. And so Cancer University is an online platform. It's for both cancer patients and caregivers to educate, empower, and engage them to become advocates in order to improve outcomes, lower stress, and reduce cost. And we do that through a three-pronged model where we have courses, we have coaching, and we also have a community. That's very interesting. So is there an app that someone could download? So if I was a constipation or a caregiver, how do I join Cancer U? If you go to cancer.university, there are buttons everywhere about becoming a member. We don't have an app yet. And I will share with your listeners, that's been one of the challenges. If I could go back in time, Cancer U is four years old, I would find a technical co-founder because it's definitely been one of our challenges is, is designing well, at least it's been there four years. So without it, I'm sure there'll be many patients and caregivers that would not benefit from the solutions that you provide, right? So I'm sure we always learn, right? We could all do things differently if we look at things differently. I love the website and I've been on there and I think this is a great application. You go in, enroll now, and it's a very beautiful, easy form. You can just fill out to join the community, right? And get all the support that you want. So, so what are your current clients right now? How do you partner? Is it for-profit? Is it non-profit? Is structured? I structured it as a for-profit because I knew the limitations that you have as a nonprofit, but I never wanted to charge patients or caregivers. So it is a bit more challenging. It's a B2B business model. Initially, before COVID, we had a pilot program set to launch with UT Southwestern, major NCI center, right, out of Dallas. And then COVID happened. <laughs> I mean, it was set to launch the first week of March in 2020. <laughs> And it took so long to bring all those pieces together. But COVID happened and we really shifted our business model to focus more on pharmaceutical companies, including biotech and medical device as our primary customers. And then we've also had a lot of interest from payers and employer health plans. So now with hospital systems and doctors, we have our true partners. We call it the MTV model. So I don't know if you're old enough, but back in the day when MTV had actual videos, when they first started, I was a kid, I remember, it was really interesting. They did not charge artists to put their videos on MTV, but 
artists didn't charge MTV for the right to use their videos. And so it was this real win-to-win business model. And that's how we work now with providers and with health systems. I really love the idea. And I love companies that come out of personal experiences. And you mentioned, I think you say you've lost five family members, right? So five? Six Six, family members to five different cancers. Five different cancers. And I think along the process that I've seen your podcast, and everyone can go listen to your podcast as well. We'll have the information for your podcast when we post this one up as well. With that being said, you get to talk to a lot of patients and you have personal experience around this. What have you learned so far about cancer you'd like to share with listeners? Always get a second opinion. And that is even easier now with the edge of telehealth. It is so much easier. Always get a second opinion. And if you have an advanced stage of cancer, clinical trials should be a first option, not a last resort. And 85% of Americans are seen in community cancer centers where clinical trials are often not even discussed. And then I would say this specifically for caregivers, you need support. So the patient is focused on getting well, they're focused on managing their treatment, and the caregiver is doing everything else. And I didn't even realize this until someone pointed out to me that you become the chauffeur, you become the secretary, you become the housekeeper, you become the cook. I mean, you're doing everything to manage, and yet there's not as much support for caregivers. So you do need to find support. Which is, and I want to take it out from, from several angles, which ties into the previous question, where you said you, you have a lot of partners in whether it's like biotech or is pharma on the pharma side or payer side. And it comes down to this idea of the need to diagnose someone early, like early diagnosis, right? So and, right? Correct. So in your case, it's like your book, for example, which I encourage everyone to get is an ebook, Now Bald, uh, A Life in 147 Days. You said your sister had metastatic cancer at the time of diagnosis, right? Which means there's still this need to educate people, get a second opinion early on, right? And then start treating much earlier. Have you seen any change over the years and improvement of diagnosis? Has there been massive changes since you got involved in it? Oh gosh, I want to say yes. (laughs) There have been changes specifically in liver cancer in that there are many options now if you have advanced cancer. So they're all palliative in nature. And that's one of the challenging things is that many patients assume if a doctor is prescribing something, it must be curative when in fact it's not. And, but there are so many options now, palliative care options that are, it's almost overwhelming for patients and caregivers, again, specifically in liver cancer. The other thing I'm seeing happening is that patients and their families are starting to realize that saying no to treatment is also a choice. And I'm thinking of just this wonderful couple and he has metastatic HC and he had tried immunotherapy and then he was trying something else. And he lost so much weight as many cancer patients do, but liver cancer is specific, so difficult because it's part of your GI system. In many ways, it's more difficult than other types of cancer, not to diminish any other cancer, but, and what they finally decided to do is stop treatment to focus on palliative care options so he could have a better quality of life. And I'm really happy to say that was 18 months ago that he stopped treatment altogether. To quote Oprah, they are living their best life. (laughs) He knows he's on borrowed time, but he and his wife are just spending time together. Which comes down to this idea of like personalized care, right? When there's no yeah. one size fits all, right? And for every person, every patient and caregiver, you have the right to make a decision of what is best for you in general, right? 
uh, it's something that could cure you and it works for you. I mean, you have side effects for different things and there are many things that happen in general, right? So we don't right. even guidance on what people do, but it's a personal choice uh, for the individual. I touched on something that I think you have first-hand experience around, which is around the caregiver. Can you share some of the impact of having a family member or being a caregiver for someone with cancer, right? Uh, what does that person go through from that first-person perspective, which is something that we tend not, that everyone has that experience actually see? Because the impact is not just on the patient, right? The patient is going through the cancer themselves and all the mental breakdown, but the stress on the caregiver themselves, right? Yeah. Which is often ignored. So what are some of the guidance and insights you can share on, on how to actually tackle those? Well, it can be as simple as ask how the caregiver's doing. You know, people are always going to ask how the patient's doing. And I don't mean just physicians. I mean, just family and friends. They're always going to ask about the patient, of course. But it's very rare that someone asks, well, how are you doing? What can I do for you? How can I make your life a little bit easier? And there are so many platforms now that I'm thinking of CaringBridge for one, where a patient or the caregiver can post updates, but also they can synchronize what their needs are. And I do think, and I know people disagree with me, it the onus to some degree is on that patient or caregiver to actually say what they need. And I know that can be overwhelming, but people often want to help and they just have no idea how. I know for me, for example, I had this very odd errand that needed to be done when my sister was sick and it just wasn't easy to make time. I lived in Los Angeles. Traffic is brutal. I had all these people offering to help. And I had this one person, and this was not a close friend, but she lived a block away from the place that I needed to go to get this one errand done. And so I reached out to her and I said, you offer to help. This is going to sound strange. Would you mind running this one errand for me? And of course she said, yes, it was nothing for her, but it saved me an enormous amount of time. It was one less thing that I had to worry about. And it was amazing. And I mean, which is great to hear. So a lot of times people hold things back and they don't want to share. Right? You want to feel strong, but it's good to be vulnerable and open up right? and ask for help and support, yeah. which is great. And that's something you do with Cancer U, which I think it's, it's big enough support to the community. And so if anyone is listening and you want to help, Andrea, well, help build an app, please reach out. Yeah, <laughs> please. Right, let's reach out. And that's a part of the community, right? That's the point of having a podcast and discussions like this is to share that knowledge and say that this could touch any one of us. It could be any one of us to do this. With that being said, from a business angle and perspective, what has been the biggest challenge so far in doing what you're doing? I alluded to it earlier. If I could go back in time, I would find a technical co-founder as well. And that has been one of the biggest challenges because when you're outsourcing everything, you're just a client. And so our first platform, our sort of not even beta, I guess, alpha platform looked beautiful. And I think I had a lot to do with that because that's where I have a really good eye and I know exactly what I want. But it wasn't easy to navigate. And it was built, the back end was built on a platform that really couldn't sustain everything that needed to be done because Cancer University is both a community, like I said, but coaching and also what they call an LMS, a learning management system. So we have these asynchronous courses as well. And so that has been the most challenging thing for me. And then second thing would be not really understanding how to raise money and what that looks like. It's been a lot of as you go and hit and misses. And so 
if you are an entrepreneur and you are in the tech space, especially health tech, I would say make sure one of your co-founders is a technology person. They don't have to be healthcare, but they have to have the technology background. And then the second thing would be see the big picture. If you're going to need to raise money, if you can't put in your own funds, or in my case, my funds were limited. I put everything I had into Cancer You. But if you're going to need to raise money, you need to learn how to do that because there's a strategy to it. I really appreciate you saying that part of it and I think it's the skill set to it, right? How you structure a company, how you go about raising capital. Yeah. And I think that there are many entrepreneurs that are possibly listening uh, that might also learn from it. I have many friends, actually, that are clinicians that start companies, but they're funded by themselves, right? Tech is something that when you build a technology company, you will never stop building a product, right? So it doesn't matter how much money you have. Exactly. You, you've completely drained, right? So I don't think there's any pocket big enough to build the perfect solution because you have to keep building. <laughs> and you keep going. Right, right. You have to keep uh, iterating I, all the time. Correct. At the same time, you also have to create some revenue models. So you have to bring revenue yes. in, right? And then you have to also survive and make some money for yourself while you're building the product. So, and it gets very, it's very expensive. Or you could spend the next hundred years trying to build the front line, the front end of the product, right? the back end of the product. So I think that's another episode that we'll have to bring up some venture capitalists on board and have probably offices in different ways, grants, different ways you can raise capital and the right partners kind of system, which is part of, of this community that we're trying to build here, right? To buy the orange, just talk to your people like yourself, right? And then share what you've learned. Right, and what other entrepreneurs could benefit from, and how we could actually go about executing this. So, with that being said, where do you see Cancer U in the next five years? Well, we're at a real, oh gosh, we're in an interesting place right now. I don't, I'm not quite sure how to answer that question. I can say where I want us to be. We've had so much interest in branching out Cancer University outside of the U.S. from Cancer U India, Cancer U Australia, and that is really how scalable. Cancer University is. It could sort of like a, it could be franchised to an individual country because, of course, their healthcare system is different. And so I see that it could be really huge, but we're at this inflection point with financials that's been very challenging for us. And so that's going to be key in the short term is to not only to stay afloat, but to really excel our growth and to get that necessary investment to move forward. So clearly, if anyone is listening in the space and have experience, or you invest, whether an angel investor or your VC listening to this, and it could be a corporate VC, because I, I think what you're working on, cancers, is something that aligns to a lot of biotech companies, a lot of pharma companies, yeah. and the focus area of where we are right now in the industry, the life science industry, is a lot of focus on rare diseases and cancers in general. And now you have, and people need. The patients and caregivers to talk to them. Look at quality of life, kind of improvements as endpoints in studies, right? So if you're listening to this. Cancer U is a great place to start with, uh, right? And share your knowledge and guidance, not just listen and go to bed, but listen and reach out to Andrea and let's help her get there, right? I want to have a conversation with her in six months from now, a year from now, and then track the progress of what is happening here, right? And I'd like to learn that from the community we could support to make sure that your mission and goal becomes a reality of exactly where you're trying to go. So with that being said, you have a lot of different hats, right? So you have the Cancer U piece, right, going on. You have Love Your Liver, you have the Blue Fairy so how do you divide your time and how do you manage all this to make it happen? I have ADHD myself, so I make it function quite well for me. <laughs> well, there's a little joke buried deep in my LinkedIn profile where I say, but it is true. The day I find someone more organized than me is the day I find my personal assistant for life. I'm still searching for that person. So I am ridiculously organized and that helps a lot. And I'm really good at managing my time and I track everything you have to measure and see what works. And also I've had to learn as essentially a co-founder of one company and the founder of another company. And even as an author, you're 
you are your own business as an author, I've had to learn when to let go, right? And to seize control and to hand it over to other people. And that's been a very valuable lesson. And that is, that's quite fantastic. And as we wrap up, you're also a speaker. So tell me what kind of events you like to do. And someone's listening, they want to get you on there for one of the events to get you on as a speaker. You have a lot of energy. So I'm personally involved <laughs> to you as a speaker. So, so tell us, <laughs> right? So, so, so tell me, what, what, so what kind of events you like to talk about and what are the, what's the ideal spot for you? Some of the more niche topics I've discussed have been one of my favorite things was the three pillars for clinical trial design. It was an article I did initially, and then I got asked to speak to a conference with about 100 researchers, and it was fantastic. And there were some ideas in there that they really hadn't thought about, and it made them think and have a discussion. I also love to talk about end-of-life planning and why you need to have that death conversation before you ever get sick. It's just so critical. And dying with dignity. I had to fight the medical establishment to take my sister home. And they thought she was about to die. They were ready to put her on a respirator. And I had to fight them. I think I even signed something saying I wouldn't sue. (laughs) And my sister woke up and she didn't die in the ambulance like they said she would. And she came home and she was wide awake. And, And because I did that, A few days later, she was able to die in her own bed, not hooked up to any machines, surrounded by people who loved her. And every single person had the opportunity also to say goodbye to her. And that was really special. And sister's name was Adrian. So we dedicated a show in memory of Adrian. And I think that there's been a great cause of something that you've done that sparked you, right? And I think time passes by, but it's not how long people live, but it's about the memories that we create with each other, right? And so with that being said, I'd like us to end on that Adrian note and dedicate a show to her. Thanks to be on the show, Andrea. And I look forward to having you on in a very short time. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Thank you for listening to Bite the Orange. If you want to change healthcare with us, please contact us at info at emmanuelfobo.com or you can visit us at emmanuelfobo.com or bitetheorange.com. If you like this episode and want more information about us, you can also visit us at emmanuelfobo.com. Mm-hmm.